Welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we talk with actors, artists, and creators about their work, career, and current obsession. I'm your host, Patrick Holland, and my guest is the writer, journalist, and editor, Sam Lansky. We talk about his new book, Broken People, a Novel, which is about a writer named Sam who seeks out a shaman to perform open soul surgery. The procedure can supposedly fix everything that's wrong with you in three days. The novel is a follow-up to his 2016 memoir, The Gilded Razor. We discuss both books as well as Sam's day job as an editor at Time Magazine. I should note that this interview was recorded in July. All right, Sam, I'm just so excited to get to talk with you. There's so much to talk about. And we're going to jump into your book, but I wanted to do the obligatory pandemic questions first. Uh, which Great. first, I just want to see how are you doing, and or how are you how are you and your family handling these times? I've joked a couple times that my New Year's resolution, I think, was to take to spend more time with myself and um, <laughs> really be careful what you wish for, um, because uh, I've I've certainly had a lot of that. It's been a challenging time. It's been a frightening time. It's also been a time that I think has been illuminating in so many ways. And I think my um, kind of basic life ethos is like, try and find the lesson, you know, try and find the wisdom. Because if you don't, then it's all just senseless chaos. Well, and that, that leads me to my next question, which is uh, obviously we both work in journalism, uh, slightly different publications. Um, but even before the pandemic, you know, journalism was not the most stable of careers to have. And I've seen many publications laying off people. I'm wondering how do you think these times have changed journalism and what do you see the role of journalism in the coming months and years? I, I do think that um, the role of journalism is more vital than ever now. I think that our access to clear, uh, unfettered information is so crucial in a time where there is widespread confusion and misinformation. And I think, you know, in terms of how this has um, affected us most most severely in the U.S., you know, disproportionately compared to other territories, we see the effects of that misinformation. You know, it's it's in how people are responding to the pandemic and the extent to which they're keeping themselves safe and taking this seriously. It's not like I'm, I'm reporting from the front lines of what's happening, although I have so much admiration for my colleagues at time and elsewhere in the media who are doing that work. But I think, you know, my hope would be that coming off several years where I think the, the media and journalists have been in many ways under attack, their work has been kind of sidelined or marginalized in its importance. Um, this will be a moment where Americans and, and people everywhere feel like we really want to center and report and put resources toward um, the work that journalists do, because our access to information and truth is is the first step towards saving us, I think. Yeah, well, I, there's like a thousand follow-up questions I have, but I think the one I wanted to follow up with most is with specific, specifically covering arts and entertainment. Obviously, that is another uh, one of these paths that has been really rocked by these times. And are you seeing like a, a new wave of how that might, not just the business side, but also the creation of work uh, affect that creation of work moving forward? Yeah. I mean, I, I talk with friends in the industry all the time and I think people are really unclear on how quickly um, we're all going to be, uh, you know, sort of back in this, the swing of things um, when production is going to start back up again, you know, how things are going to move forward through the sort of 
development channels. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if for the next several years, um, production sort of scaled down um, in terms of their their magnitude or, or what what people are able to execute safely. I also, you know, think we've already started to see some productions shifting overseas to places where they've controlled the pandemic more effectively and, and transmission has gone down. So I think resources shifting internationally and things getting smaller and more creative in their execution would be what I anticipate from here on out. But I think it's really just so hard to say, Patrick, I mean, I think we're in uncharted waters in so many ways. This period has been simultaneously a really difficult one to make work in because you have to be such a self-starter. And I think you're managing a lot of anxiety and fear and confusion as you're trying to create. And those are not ideal circumstances under which to bring forth worlds from your imagination. And simultaneously, it's it's been a little bit of a good incubator, I think, um, in as much as people have been able to kind of clear away the the clutter of what used to occupy their time out in the world to kind of, you know, go inward and, and do some work. I've, I've felt that way for myself creatively, even while I also feel a great deal of concern and fear and uncertainty and anxiety. I think both of those things can be true. There may be a really kind of interesting kind of creative boomlet that comes out of this. I will say that personally for me, I, I'm i curious how much people will be interested in like coronavirus stories effectively. Like, you know, I've, I've only seen a couple kind of social distancing coronavirus themed projects that are going to be made in this moment. Um, greenlit a lot of them from from really smart gifted creators and featuring people who I think are really talented and at the same time I'm just like who wants to relive this through stories <laughs> who wants a fictional um, recasting of this but maybe I'm wrong maybe maybe that's something that a lot of people want that could just yeah. be me I'm very very in my head in the sand about things like <laughs> uh, that. well I can see I agree with uh, that sentiment completely because it's like all right we got through it let's uh, let's have some breathing room here but um, in, in a segue to your book, I think it's interesting because there's been so many pieces of um, like films coming out, music or tributes, all these things coming out that have been not only distractions, but also in an odd way, like the Hamilton thing this weekend. It just seems like it, in a weird way, it's kind of the perfect time for something to come out. And I'm wondering about specifically your book, Broken People. Obviously, this was written well before any of the pandemic went down. How is it to release a novel during a pandemic you know I, I, candidly it's been really hard um i think the the sort of quick pivot to um to changing all of the plans that i had around release and, and what i thought i was going to be doing was was definitely something that i had to find a way to navigate and feel like i'm still finding ways to navigate and and doing so imperfectly and sort of making peace with the fact that i'm not going to do it perfectly and, and that's okay. <laughs> so it's it's been very strange. I, I think, you know, I'm heartened by the fact that people are at home reading. There's been a sort of elevated sense of consciousness too about um, buying books specifically from Black-owned bookstores over the last month or so um, mm -hmm. in the wake of George Floyd's murder and, and the protests and, and social movement that developed out of that. I've seen so many writers and people in publishing and people outside of publishing centering Black voices and, and Black people in the publishing community, including Black bookstore owners. And, you know, I, I posted about a bookstore in Los Angeles where I live called um, Isawan. That's a, a Black-owned bookstore that you can order 
from online. And I think that's been really cheering to see. It's it's certainly an extraordinary news moment. And I would be lying if I said I felt totally comfortable being self-promotional in the way that you're sort of expected to be when you're you're birthing something like a book into the world. In this time, it's it's felt really touch and go. And I felt really unsure about the right ways to do it. And I think amid all of that, getting comfortable with the fact that I'm not always going to know the right thing to do. And sometimes I'm just going to do it wrong. And that's okay. And that's part of the process has been uh, has been a real takeaway for me. The, just the attempt of trying to do the right thing, I think, is the biggest aspect of that, right? And inherently, when you have a, a book out or a, a movie out, that's uh, you're, apps, people want to hear you talk about that. They want to hear that from you. And obviously, yeah, these past few months have been heavy for that and navigating what is socially what seems right, ethically what seems right. Um, yeah, absolutely. Tell me about Broken People. I have a lot of questions about it, but I want to hear how you describe it uh, for the audience. Broken People is a novel that opens with this question. What if you could fix everything that's wrong with you in three days? And <laughs> this is a question that's, that's posed to um, our protagonist, who is a young man, not unlike me, named Sam, who's kind of going through it. You know, Sam's insecure. Sam doesn't feel good about himself. Sam's, you know, had some failed relationships. Sam's just not feeling like he's on a winning streak. And when this question is posed to him, and it turns out there's an opportunity to work with a mysterious, slightly shadowy shaman who claims to have the power to uh, open the door between dimensions and call in ancient spirits to heal the 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 souls and interior conditions of broken people in what he describes as open soul surgery sam is like yeah i'm in <laughs> let's do this and uh ends up going on this journey over the course of three days um with this shaman that takes him through his memory through the places that he's been uh and i don't want to you know spoil anything too much mm -hmm. but ultimately leads him to you know interrogate the nature of what it means to your what it means to think of yourself as broken or in being in need of fixing in the first place and whether that is you know the, the right frame through which to think about ourselves what's appealing to me though is i i love a setup that has like a, that seeks to answer a question that's impossible to answer I, the idea of open soul surgery i think should be a thing but i i the character of sam being based off you i'm curious as you were writing the book how did you navigate your own personal boundaries versus knowing when to exaggerate or expound upon them for the character. I'm so glad you asked, Patrick. I have no boundaries. So that was really easy for me. Um, <laughs> no, no, you know, I, I was, um, part of what I was motivated by in the writing of this book was experiences I had that led me to kind of think critically or think differently about the way we tell ourselves stories about who we are and the ways in which our tendency to self-narrativize, whether you're doing that in a book um, or whether you're doing that on social media or whether you're doing that in conversation with a friend is, is a little bit of a trap and how we tell these stories about ourselves. And then we kind of stick to them. You know, they, they become very uh, seductive 
we begin to believe that things about ourselves maybe are, are true that actually are not. And so I, I was really curious about that. I really wanted to write about that. And so part of that process for me creatively as, as a writer was in mining from my own personal experiences and quite literally telling stories about myself while also giving myself the permissive space of fiction to imagine, create, go beyond, and just sort of follow my instincts in terms of using the world space of a novel to um, get creative. So I think it was less about the sort of deliberate demarcation of boundaries and more about like what feels right as I'm writing it, like what feels like the truest story I can tell. And by, by truest, I'm talking about a kind of emotional truth more so than I am a, a like journalistic or factual truth, if that makes sense. It, it does make sense. Obviously, the character Sam is, is in a way trying to fix problems in his life. Uh, through this process, or were you able to fix problems in your life? Both in the in the living of experiences that helped inspire the book, and then also in the writing of the book, I felt like I did a lot of that healing work. You know, it, it was a healing and a cathartic experience to tell this story. And again, because it's a little bit meta, it's kind of a, a house of mirrors even to talk about. So you know, go with me on this, but. You know, it was a book about the stories we tell ourselves that was written by me about a guy named Sam, who's kind of like an alternate reality version of me, who had some experiences that were similar to what I went through. But in order to write that book, I had to have experiences as myself, Sam, that also led me to a place of examining narrative and how we tell stories about ourselves, which then went into the story that I was telling about this version of myself that is not really myself, but it's kind of myself, you know what I mean? So it was a, it was a very, um, like kind of funhouse mirror, um, experience of doing some of that kind of self analysis, but in doing so, I think, and then in building this world and, and writing this novel, I felt like I was able to, to be more mindful of the ways in which I do that. And I think it's something that we all do. I think it's a really human thing to, get stuck in belief systems or ways of being that are tethered to this pattern of storytelling or, or narrative creatures inherently. But being in this process made me so much more conscious of that, I think, which was in its own way really healing. And I feel like there's a bit of like an inception thing going on in your description it's there. It's very inception. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad you're bringing that up. That's exactly what it is. I incepted myself in the writing of this book. I read another interview. You'd say a big theme in the book is the idea of surrender. I wonder if you can elaborate on that a bit. Yeah, you know, I think um, I think I'll shout out my my mom here, who um, was a therapist for many years, and um, one of the wisdoms she dispensed when I was young that I still think about and say all the time is you can surrender now or you can surrender later, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> which is just it's so real. First of all, I should say, like, I'm, you know, I'm really not a, a guru. Like, nobody, nobody let me dispense any life wisdom because I'm super ill-equipped to do that. Not, not somebody who should be telling anybody how to live their life. But I think I've become really aware in my own life of how much resistance I put up to so many things. You know, whether 
often it's just accepting that things are the way they are. I have spent a lot of time resisting the fact that we are still in this pandemic and, and feeling uncomfortable about that and, and fighting that, not like by, you know, traveling through the world unmasked and like going to parties or something. I, I don't mean fighting it that way, but, but internally fighting the fact that this is the way it is right now. And ultimately, all we can do is surrender to the reality of what is happening and try and find a way to move through that as, as gracefully as possible. I think I had a lot of learning to do kind of through my 20s about surrender and, and a lot of that made its way into this story. It's something that I'm still learning. It's something that I'm still practicing, uh, I guess, and, and definitely not doing perfectly 100% of the time. But I think it's so easy to, to get caught up in that kind of knot of resistance to whatever the thing is that we need to deal with, whether it's the fact that we're still not going to be able to go outside and see our friends today, or the fact that, you know, there's some truth about ourselves that we've been running from, that we really need to just embrace and find a way to integrate and, and move forward with. And I think it's, it's a difficult thing to do, but for me, it's been so much of the work of growing up has been finding ways to surrender to the reality of what is, even if I don't like it, and I usually don't. The name of our podcast is called I'm So Obsessed, and Sam, I want to know, what are you currently so obsessed with? What I am obsessed with right now is the Netflix reality series Selling Sunset a reality series from the producers of The Hills, uh, the <laughs> iconic mid-aughts MTV reality show that mm -hmm. made uh, household names out of regular California girls, Lauren Conrad, Heidi Montag. So Selling Sunset uh, has a lot of the same kind of tonality as The Hills, but it is about a group of Los Angeles real estate agents and it combines the kind of mundane, petty, interpersonal drama of the hills with effectively house porn, like with um, <laughs> with just like lots and lots of kind of lingering, luxurious shots of beautiful homes. And then you have these wonderfully kind of cinematic, vapid, squabbling people fighting with each other in those homes. I just, it feels like I'm, I'm, I'm settling my brain into a warm bath. Like it just <laughs> puts me into a kind of like benzodiazepine stupor that is everything I've ever wanted from a TV show. I uh, think the new um, Michaela Cole show, I May Destroy You, is just incredible and an absolute triumph and uh, it's on HBO right now. It's so, so, so good. Just exceptionally smart and human and empathic and just beautiful, triumphant television. 10 out of 10. Would watch again. That's excellent. We do a thing called Pick One, and I'm going to give you a couple things to choose and you pick one. It doesn't mean it's the best one. 
and you're more than welcome to talk them out. But I think I can get through a lot of topics here, if that is cool with you. Great. Let's do it. All right. The first one, New York or L.A.? L.A. No question. No question. iPhone or Android? iPhone. Unquestionably. And I'll tell you why. It's the blue texts. They've found a way to somehow make the blue text feel like a really important signifier. Like I am speaking the same language as someone. And then green text now stress me out, which is so bizarre. And I don't know why. They just do. The other thing about the blue text functionality that I, I should say is that I am a, uh, a, a steadfast believer in red receipts. I have my red receipts on because I really? feel like it keeps me accountable. Yes. And there's nothing I love more than being in text correspondence with a fellow red receipts person. And so the iPhone iMessage functionality and the way red receipts are, are built in is a really big piece of that for me. Well, I, I'm more of a I'm more of a recent convert to the red receipts. Uh, and also we could talk if it's red or read receipts. I think it's red receipts. Um, I think it's definitely I would, red receipts. And I, yes. I, I think that people would feel otherwise. <laughs> I don't want to be prescriptive here, Patrick, but I'm going to go so far as to say they are wrong. They are I, I, I will back you up on that. Um, Thank and you so I will, much. I, I will that. sign that non-prescription. But I will say this, though. I think uh, the other aspect to those, like the, the infamous blue bubbles, is that <laughs> it means that people like you, it means it's your friends and family. It means like I, when my dad sent me a blue bubble text, I freaked out. It's like, who gave him an iPhone? Who? How did he get on this iPhone? How did this happen? So it tells you a lot right away. Now, I, I want to move this next one, and I want to just clarify this by saying that I, I initially had a bunch of questions about these two things, but we could talk about this. So pick one, broken people or the gilded razor. Oh, broken people. It's, it's really, oh yeah. Yeah, man. It's my, um, that's what I'm, I'm, I'm in promo mode. I gotta, I gotta center <laughs> my, my, um, my most, my most recent project. Um, no, uh, the Gilded Razor was, was my first book and, um, it was released in 2016 and it was a memoir about my very colorful teenage years, um, coming of age in New York city. And I'm super, super proud of it. And I was so, I continue to be so moved by hearing from, from people that that book um, really resonated with them and, and moved them. Broken People's my uh, my new baby. And I, I got to show that book some love. Well, okay. This next one's going to be for me because I have not read the book. I'm excited about reading the book. So is it Broken People hardcover, Broken People digital, or Broken People audio book? I'll tell you. And I'm not ashamed to say it. I I spent a week in a studio in the San Fernando Valley recording the audiobook of this novel. And that was so intense and so rewarding. And uh, I did not love it while it was happening, but I am so happy I did it. So I'm going to I'm going to shout out the audiobook right now. I'm going to say if you have the opportunity to listen to the dulcet tones of this voice in your ears. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. Um, well, well beyond this podcast, seize that opportunity, babe, run with it. Like just, just go and, and go on the journey of, of having my, my voice tell you the story. It really was a, a really fun. That's not true. Um, what it was, was really, really, um, cool to have the the exercise of kind of challenging myself in this way because i sort of thought i went in there i'd never i'd never recorded anything like that before and i went in there basically thinking 
okay, I'm going to read this book out loud. And I did not realize that it was effectively a voice acting job. And I was a first time voice actor doing a, a you know, relatively high stakes job, um, given that it, it, it's the only recording of my book that, you know, it would be available for people to purchase and experience. And, and the, the challenge of kind of getting into the flow of reading it out loud, of finding ways to like emote through my voice was just so interesting because, you know, as, as a writer who's generally wants to sort of hide and, and be left alone with my, with my pages to sort of center myself in that way, um, it was just really interesting. And I feel like I've learned a lot. All right. Well, you told me I'm going to get the audiobook and I can't wait to let you know what I think. I'm so excited about your book here. I want to thank Sam for chatting with me, and I want to thank you for listening. Broken People, the novel, is now out in hardcover, paperback, and as an audiobook. If you enjoyed this interview, take a moment and subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app. And if you really like this episode, please rate it. Until next week, take care.